Hello, this is Brian Bullington, and I am pastor of New Song Family Church in Ventuk, Namibia. I'm so glad that you have joined us today, and it's my prayer that this podcast message will help you to grow closer to Jesus as you walk daily with Him. Jesus has called us to, to love, and we've been looking at, at what love requires of us. And Jesus, in, in, in this passage that we're about to get into, the, the Beatitudes, uh, has taken his disciples aside and he's, he's, he's now starting to teach them. And I wonder if there was a character issue that he's already started to pick up amongst the disciples. Because um, earlier Brian and I were, were joking about all these, all these laws that we see in Leviticus. And God probably put those laws in place as awkward as some of them may be because somebody is breaking those, those rules. God had to say, also, don't do that. And this, like... Um, your, your, your mother's wives are off limits, son, please. Right? You knew, you know there was somebody, somebody doing something there, right? Someone was messing around with stuff. So I think as, as, as the disciples are sitting with Jesus, Jesus has probably picked up on these things. That's, that's just my speculation, right? It doesn't say anything about it. But he starts to, to tell them um, things that, that, are, that are essential to us learning to love the way Jesus does. There had to be a shift of perspective, a, a change of mind. And he says, this is the way that you have to look at the world now, and it's completely different from the world that you live in, from the world that we live in. Let's read together. It's, it's Matthew 5, verse uh, 3 to 12. And it reads, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets uh, who were before you. Let's, let's, let's look at that first one. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And um, as I think of this, I, I remember a time where uh, I was at my church in, in Cape Town, Calvary Chapel, the, the church I, I got saved at and I was serving at. And that morning, I was an usher. And the day before we had done uh, discipleship, uh, my, my actual first discipleship course, and it was actually on this passage. But right after that, we went and we, we, we were surprised. With, there was a surprise at the end. Oh, also, we're going to go and share the gospel in the gardens, this big park. It was very exciting. <laughs> so we went out and, and someone had spoken to some of the homeless uh, people who stayed in the park. And so the next day, a few of them came and, and two of them had given their lives to Christ and they brought all of their friends, right? And I'm there at the door and this guy standing next to me, Anna Klett, who, who was one of the elders at the church, he says, just remember, as they're walking, as they're walking towards us, he says, just remember... Uh, that person is, belongs here as much as you do. And you treat them with the same kind of love and the same kind of respect. I such great people standing by me and leading me as I was a new believer. 
So this guy comes and he's got this jacket and this jacket is like, it's supposed to, it's, it, it, was, it was winter time in Cape Town so it's raining and this jacket was barely protecting him from the elements. So this thing is drenched and he comes and he's happy and he gives me this massive bear hug. But I'm telling you, the smell that came off of that man, shoo, it could have killed me. But the grace of God upheld me. <laughs> but when I think of being poor in spirit, I think of this man. This man who, his clothing barely protects him. He has no place to stay. He has nothing to eat. He, he survives from the donations of other people. Right? And, and when, when Jesus is saying to his disciples, be poor in spirit, recognize that spiritually you have nothing. We have no righteousness, and there's, the righteousness is, is many times it's described as clothing, that, God, that, that Christ clothes us with his righteousness. In the very beginning, when Adam and Eve sinned, the first thing they did was try to put together some clothes to cover themselves up, and that was insufficient, and God himself made clothing for them. We have no righteousness of our own. There is nothing we can do to make ourselves right. In Romans, it says that our righteousness is like filthy rags. And I think of, I, I think of this guy's jacket, so thin, so, so eaten up by time, by weather, and barely covering him. And that's what our righteousness is. We have nothing. We need to realize that, that Jesus is the one who gives us that righteousness. That all the goodness comes from him. Jesus is the only righteous one. Beyond that, just like the homeless person, we have no home on our own. That we have this world, but then after that, this world is just a small sliver of time in the eternity that we will exist. And we have no home without Jesus. Without a relationship with Jesus, that promise in John 14 that I'm going to prepare a place for you, that doesn't exist. That Jesus gives us everything. And also, even as we become believers, we don't suddenly gain righteousness that pops out of nowhere. It's God himself who provides that. Everything comes from him. Galatians 5, verse 22 and 23, I'm sure some people have memorized this. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. But where do those things come from? Does it come from us? But this all comes from the Holy Spirit. It all comes from Him. If you take away Christ, if you take away the Holy Spirit, we need to realize that we have nothing and that we are nothing. And that He was saying to, 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 to His disciples, you need to realize this. You see, the Pharisees and the religious leaders of, of that day, they thought they were okay. They thought they could do everything to be righteous, that they had their own righteousness. That if I follow this rule, if I pray in this way, if I donate this much to the temple, I have done it. I have reached it. But they hadn't. It was those who, who realized that they were nothing. It's the disciples who, who no one would have picked to be the ones who would take God's good news to the whole earth. It's those people who knew we are nothing and we have nothing without you. And this should affect 
um, the way that we relate to Jesus. Right? This should be a whole mindset. Jesus should not be someone that's a nice kind of add-on. Like, oh, I can also have Jesus. It's really nice. You, you, you get Jesus, and then you go to church, and then you sing nice songs. You have nice coffee. Actually, the best coffee at New Song Family Church. <laughs> and then you go home, right? And you, you pack away this little nice Jesus, and you continue with your week. No, this, this makes Jesus the one that we need. He provides everything, which means daily we go to him. We say, Jesus, I need you today. None of us can affect any change in anyone's life by ourselves, right? We don't have any of the goodness. We don't have any of the grace required, the love, the wisdom, the patience. We have none of that. And every single day we wake up and we say, Jesus, give me everything. Give me everything that I need to serve you the way you've called me to, to love the way that you have called me to. It continues in, in verse, verse 4, and it says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And yes, there is comfort when we're going through hard times, but Jesus here is talking about mourning at our own wicked state. In um, 2 Corinthians 7 verse 10, it says, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. Are we broken by our sin? Do we have sorrow when we sin? Uh, are we torn when we, when we sinned against God? Are we just kind of okay with it? Right? And as I'm, as I'm saying these things, I'm preaching to myself as well. And many times where I think, oh, God forgives me. It's okay. It's all right. Just kind of continue with your day. But we need to be broken by it. It needs, it needs to cut us deeply because of the person that we've sinned against. David in, in, in Psalm 38, uh, verse three to eight, says this, and he's describing his own, his own state. He says, there's no soundness in my flesh because of your indignation. There's no health in my bones because of my sin. For my iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden, they are too heavy for me. My wounds stink and fester because of my foolishness. I'm utterly bowed down and prostrate all the day I go about my mourning. For my sides are filled with burning, and there is no soundness in my flesh. I'm feeble and crushed. Look at the way he describes this. He's talking about his sin. He realizes that this is something that's actually, it's destroying me. It's eating away at me bit by bit. And he realizes how dangerous it is how serious it is. And we should think the same way. Jesus was saying to his disciples, your mind should shift as you think about your own sin. Naturally, what we want to do is make sure that we look good to everyone else. So we cover our sin. We try and make, make ourselves feel better about our sin. Oh, it's not that bad. I'm not as bad as that person. I didn't do that. Right? I'm not a murderer. I'm not a thief. I just told a little, little lie. Right? I just cheated just a little bit on the taxes. But God says we need to be cut to the heart. Jesus says you need to feel this way to confront it. 
And it says that if we mourn, we are comforted. Outside of, outside of us realizing that we are so sinful and knowing that we need to go back to Jesus, we will receive no comfort, that comfort of forgiveness. And I know so many of us have experienced it, where you've sinned against God again. And this thing is, it's a recurring sin and you come to him. And I don't know about you, but there are many times where if I've done a sin over and over and over again, I hesitate to come to God. I feel like, okay, let me do a few good things so that as I walk into his throne room, he's not that angry, right? Which is nonsense. Because our God, the moment we come in, he forgives us. And that relief that we get, you know that relief, when you know that you've been forgiven. It's like this weight that lifts off of your shoulders. That's the comfort that, that, that Jesus is talking about. You will get that comfort. As you realize how sinful you are, you bring it to Christ, and you realize that you are forgiven. He comforts us with, with a knowledge beyond that, that he's going to continue to refine us. He says he's the author and perfecter of our faith, that he will finish it. That what he started now, he will continue to work on until the day we meet him and are perfected. I'm comforted in that. I, many times I think there's no way I'll overcome this. As I come to God and I pray and I ask him, please do forgive me. He gives me hope. He says, it's not you who will overcome this. I will overcome this in you. I just need you to submit to me. We are called to, to, to mourn this way not only about our own sin, but the sin all around us. Right? In Romans 1 verse 29 to 32, it says this, that they are filled with all manner of unrighteousness, with evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness, they are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. And though they know God's right decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. We can't, God is saying, we can't be complacent. As we look at the sin around us, and, and what our culture normally does is, we, the sin that is most committed, our culture will find a way to make it okay. Right? The views and the truths will change so that most people can continue to do what they want to do. Uh, the, the world's culture will cater to our sinful nature so it will be easy to go along with it. Also, to stand against it will cost us personally. We think of uh, uh, the, the discussion on, 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 on gender. Something that God has said from the very beginning, I've made you this way. But the culture says, you can choose now. And what a difficult thing it is to stand against it. But God calls you to stand. He says, we need to be broken by it. And it goes beyond just looking at it and going like, that's wrong. But actually being hurt by it. Jesus, when he looked over Jerusalem, as he prayed over them, he wept. Right? He says, I would love to, to gather you like a, a hen gathers her chicks. I would love to take care of you. I'd love to turn you away from your sin. And we need to be broken in the same way. Are you broken by your sin? Do you grieve when you sin? Do you hurt when you sin? And if we are, it leads us to repentance and to comfort. But it also leads us 
to desperately pray for others who are living in that way, to desperately pray for their repentance and to actually do something about it, to go and tell them that there is a way out, there's a way to be forgiven. There's a way to be changed, that, that God will change your life. Continues, in, and he says in verse 5, that blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And meekness is power under submission. It's, 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 it's very close to humility. I don't think you can have one without the other. But um, meekness is one who is powerful, choosing to be humble. We have Jesus as the perfect example of this. Creator of heaven and earth, that he steps down and becomes, limits himself to live life as a man. To feel hunger, to feel pain, to be insulted, to be disrespected. He didn't have to do that. He chose himself. Uh, Sibylla talked about this last week in, in John 13 where Jesus goes on and he washes the disciples' feet. That was a task for the lowest of the low. And Jesus, the king of all kings, he stoops down. And he's saying, this is what we need, this is, this is our heart. And everything that we read here, as he continues in the rest of this uh, sermon, it's like this is just the beginning, he's starting to unlock it. And he says, you need this for that to happen. Later on, uh, uh, some of the disciples are arguing, and Jesus says, the least among you will be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. The one who strives to be the most humble. The one who practices meekness, that is the one who will be greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And we need to check ourselves with this. Because even in, in, in our attempts to be humble, sometimes we do it for our own gain. Maybe you're here at church and to say, oh no, you go ahead. You have the last cup of coffee in front of other people. Maybe that might be the intention of the heart. That this person might see that I'm humble. That person might say, oh, what a meek person. <laughs> and we can check this with, with um, how we treat people who are under us in some way. Like uh, siblings. Older siblings, how do you treat your younger siblings? <laughs> with humility, right? Please, little brother, you go forward. You have the food, please. Parents, how do you treat your children? All right? If you make a mistake, do you apologize? Do you say, I'm sorry? There's a, there's a joke that African parents don't say, I'm sorry. That if they say that word, they might explode. <laughs> At work. Uh, those that you manage, that you supervise, your employees, how do you treat them? At school, how do you treat those who uh, have the lowest marks or those who might not be cool, so to say? Right? How do you treat those that you might have some sort of power over? Jesus is saying, act in humility. In Second Peter, he talks about this all these relationships, first and second Peter, where he's saying even to, 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 
to the, the, the masters who have slaves that you're supposed to treat them like a brother in Christ, that you are equal, that you are the same. You know, and all the, all the things like um, racism and, and sexism and tribalism and all the other isms, as, as people uh, get up to fight for these things, often they don't want equal footing. We need to be on top now. We have been underneath for so long. We've been under their fist. We need to be the ones who come out on top now. That's not meekness. That's eye for an eye. So really check your heart. Let's, let's check our hearts. How do we treat people? I have a, a, a friend that I do not go to restaurants anymore with because the way that this guy talks to waiters, I just cringe on the inside. Please just stop. Please stop. How do we treat people? Continues and says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And to hunger and thirst for righteousness is to, to have a desire to have your mind filled with the goodness of God, with the things of God. Philippians 4 verse 8 says, Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. But, this is a great verse to, to take into, oh, I'm just going to think about good things. I think of my mind as um, a little container, right? And I can't desire good things if that container is filled with nonsense. What do I take in? What do I consume, right? It's like, it's like knowing that I have a home-cooked meal waiting for me. Delicious. See some wives looking at husbands. <laughs> and you know it's there. But before you get home, you say, you know what? Let me go to KFC, get a Streetwise 2. Or 3 or 4, whatever fills you. <laughs> when you get home, even though that, that food would be 100 times better than the KFC, you'd be too full to appreciate it. You have no space for it. And you know what? It's so easy to take in all the nonsense. It's so easy to take in all, all these ideas of, of, of the world. Uh, I, I mentioned the, the, the gender one, but there's so many other ones. It's so easy to take that in because these things appeal to our sinful nature. It's just like there is no, there's no junk food that you just, oh, this is disgusting, but I'm just going to eat this chocolate. I'm just going to force myself, right? Oh, this wonderful... KFC hot wing, I just, this is the worst, and you eat it. It's not like that, right? We have to fight to avoid those things. The right thing is always the hardest thing to do. But God desires for us to desire that so he can fill us with it. God can't satisfy us with righteousness if we are full of unrighteousness. We're full. What do we fill our minds with? What do we eat? What do we consume? What do we listen to? What do we watch? What conversations do we allow to happen that we're not supposed to? That is filling our mind with all this unrighteousness. 
continues in verse 7, says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And the definition of mercy is compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone whom it is within one's power to punish or harm. Right? Ultimate mercy shown by Jesus, shown by our God, who we deserve, we deserve destruction. We deserve eternity of punishment. But he shows mercy, dies on the cross, takes that punishment. He says, this is the mercy I've shown to you. What will you show to others? If I know and I really understand that Christ has shown me such amazing, incredible mercy, and he forgives me daily and will continue to forgive me, God knows how I'm going to mess up. Continues to forgive me. He says, I will not throw you away. If I understand that, then I should forgive just the same. And this is, this is linked to the other one, being poor in spirit. Understanding what your position is and understanding that all of us are the same. If I know I'm truly bad, I'm sinful, I'm poor in spirit, I will not withhold forgiveness from someone else. Because when I withhold forgiveness, I say that they are worse off than I am. This should affect the way I treat everyone, right? Those who, who don't follow Jesus, I should look at them not as someone who's lower than me, but like this one, one pastor said, I don't remember who it is, but he said, we Christians need to, to, to think of it not as, not as like we are the doctors. We are the people who have been in the hospital for a very long time. We know where the doctor is. We know where the bathroom is. We know where the cafeteria is. We know where everything is. We show the other people we are not the doctors. We have no way of changing them. We can't change anyone's heart. But if we understand that, we'll, we'll also approach people with the humility. Many people accuse Christians of being judgmental. And I think it's this thing, not showing mercy, or thinking that we are better, but we are not. We have been forgiven. They need to be forgiven. We need the same thing. It also brings an urgency for us to bring others to Jesus as well. To understand that there is this amazing gift of mercy, of kindness, of grace, of love, of compassion from Christ. And these people need it the same way I need it. This will affect the way we treat other believers. And this is a huge thing. In, in, in John 13 verse 35 it says, By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. It's such a big part of our witness. If we are unified, if we love one another, if we bear with one another. Christ is saying here that no Christian has any right to hold a grudge with anybody, but especially with another believer. Right? And I know all of us, we have people that we can justify, but they did this and they did that. Right? They didn't say sorry to me. Right? I'm protecting my heart. They use the word toxic a lot of the time. There are some words that I'm really starting to get tired of. <laughs> That's one of them. 
But if we refuse to forgive someone, what we are saying is that the sin that they committed against us is greater than the sin that we commit against Christ. And many times we get upset with a person for one thing. They said this one thing, they did this one thing, I can't believe they would do that. And we write them off just like that. And Jesus forgives us time and time and time again. I can't even count, I don't even know, because I know there are sins that I've committed that I don't, I don't even know about that Jesus forgives. But then I have the audacity to hold something against someone else when Christ has forgiven me. In Matthew, in the, in the very next chapter, it says in verse 14 that for if you forgive others their trespasses, then your heavenly Father will also forgive you. There's the parable of the unmerciful servant. The one who comes to, 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 to his master who has this massive debt and he's forgiven and then turns around and throws another servant in prison who owed him much, much less. That's the picture of what happens when we refuse to forgive someone. Jesus has forgiven us so much more. It says, make allowance for each other's faults. This is Colossians 3 verse 13. And forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. And many times we take verses like this as a suggestion. I'm hopping on this one because this is such a huge thing. Right? It's something that in my own life I've been convicted time and time and time again of this. This, this is not a suggestion. Forgiving is actually a commandment. So if I'm not forgiving, I'm disobeying. That's rebellion against God. I'm saying to God, I will not do this. And unfortunately, um, holding back forgiveness is one of the easiest ways to destroy your witness for Christ. So, look at your life. Think of the people that have upset you. Have you truly forgiven them? Think of believers. Are they believers that you have decided, I am cutting ties with you, I am done with you? Go to Jesus with it and see what he says about it. He says, forgive. He goes on in verse 8 and says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And Jesus here was, was talking to the intention. There were, many, there were many that day who appeared pure to everyone else. The, the Pharisees who, who would stand on the, on, on the street corners and do these really loud prayers, play a trumpet as, as they were giving to the needy. They looked holy to everyone else. They had these, the special garments that they were told to wear, and everyone would see them and go, they are the holy people. But in their heart, the intention of their heart was not, was not to follow God. One of the things that threatened them the most about Jesus was losing their position in society. Losing their comfort. Their heart wasn't to follow God, but to protect themselves. What's our, what's our intention? It says, if we seek God, we will find, if we are really seeking him. If we are really seeking him. 
I think of someone like one of the religious leaders in Matthew who's sitting at, 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 at the tax collecting booth and Jesus says, follow me. And his intention is right. He says, I will follow you. I'll leave everything and follow you. And this is so closely tied to our pride as well. What is our intention? What's the intention of your heart as you follow Jesus? Is it pure? Or is it for self-gain? Continues in verse 9, it says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And this is, this is twofold. There are literal peacemakers who will, we're called to, to be people who don't like contention, who don't like arguing. I think of how exciting it was as a young child to hear that after school there's a fight. It's going to be behind this and this playground. These two people are squaring off. Right? And a lot of the time, if you knew these two people, the whole day you'd be adding flame to the fire. Do you know what else he said about your mom? Right? Are you going to take that? And you go to the other guy, and the guy, the guy said he's going to whoop you like a child. And you just be adding fuel. And Jesus is saying, that needs to be the opposite of who we are. Right? Gossip is one of those things that we feel. I also heard that they also do this. I also heard that they did this as well. But it goes beyond that. Right? It's important to, for us to seek to bring peace between people and God. Jesus came to, to bring that peace. Right? There, of course, is going to be persecution. There's going to be difficulty. There's going to be strife as you follow him. But he's the one who brings ultimate peace. Because we are enemies of God without Christ. Before we give our lives to Christ, we are his enemy. Right? All his wrath is just waiting for us. Romans 5 says this, For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? We're enemies of God. And we got that peace. And peacemakers are those who go out and tell people, you need this peace. You need to make sure that your sins are forgiven. That you can be turned from an enemy of God to a child of God. We should be striving to see other people receive that peace. And I'll admit, there have been people who have annoyed me so much that in my heart as I walk away from them, I think, you know what? Hell is a good fit for you. Right? It, I, right now, I would like for you to burn. But Jesus is saying, that cannot be your heart. Peace is what they need. Are we striving to bring that peace to people? Are we ready? Are we, are we practicing ways to share the gospel? Are we taking opportunities, making things happen, making appointments happen so we can share our faith with people? Continues and says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you, persecute you, and utter all kinds of evil against you, uh, against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the, the prophets who were before you. In our natural way, 
is to go down the path of least resistance, right? Our natural way is to try and, 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 and make sure that we, are, that we don't stand out in any way. But if you follow Christ, you will stand out. And he says, this is promised. And we need to remember that we're not of this world. John 15 verse 19 says this, if you are of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of this world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Stand for what is, for, for what is right and really stand for it and you will see. That is what will happen. That we are promised this. The beautiful thing is it, it brings us into this deep fellowship with Christ. Um, I'm experiencing exactly what he experienced. When I share, share my faith with people, I, I have this joy because I think to myself, I'm doing what Jesus did. I'm being like him. I'm being like my heavenly father. I'm reaching out. And I, I always get this picture. I, 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 I've seen many videos of, 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 of fathers walking and then kids trying to walk in their footsteps. But that, that will cost us. And Jesus is saying, you are not of this world. Remember that. And let that be your mindset. See, without all of these things, we can't love the way God has called us to love. Without changing our mindset, that our minds are like this, to have this mind of Christ, there is no way we can live as believers. There's no way we'll change anyone. There's no way we'll have the influence that God has called us to. So really check yourself. I'm going to check myself as well. This, this passage is one that continues to convict me, and the rest of this sermon as well convicts me deeply because many times I'm not thinking this way. I want the blessings of this world instead of those that come from my heavenly Father, the imperishable ones. So I want us to think about that. Um, maybe in our time of prayer, and as you continue on through the rest of your day, go and look through these things. Say, am I like this? Am I poor in spirit? Do, do I feel um, blessed when I'm persecuted? Am I a peacemaker? Am I merciful? Let's think, let's think about these things. Let's, um, let's pray and, and we'll continue in, in, in worship. But as we close, take this home. Let this not be the last time that you look at this. Take this home and, and, and go through this. And say, God, change me anywhere that I am lacking, which I'm sure will be everywhere, because I lack in that way. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for, for the radical change that you brought. Your, your, your mind in, in, in that you, the way that you think about love, that you are love and that you live love. But all these things you have asked us are, are opposite to our own hearts, are opposite to, to, to the way the world around us operates. So Jesus, I pray that you would change that in us. But I also pray that, Lord, we would participate in that change. Because God, you don't force us to do anything. Lord, may we submit as, as, as you change our hearts to see, to, to see things the way that you do. God, we want to be a witness for you. But we know that our own hearts can't do that. So please change us.
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This is Rico Veka, and I am also a pastor at New Song Family Church. I want to thank you for listening to this message today, and it is my hope that you will join us again for another New Song Family Church podcast.